Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. Hello. So, I'm reading this article this last week. Just some, just some research for like a, another, another thing I was working on. Where does stress come from? What are the top stressors in the world for Americans across the line? Like, what, what is it? I come across this article on livestrong.com, um, same website that brought you Lance Armstrong. Anyway, too. Um, and the article basically sums up all things that are stressful, cause anxiety, worry, depression, all those things, can be summed up into three categories, and it's a good thing we have livestrong.com to tell us this, uh, because it's mostly things in the past, things in the future, or your present circumstances. What, what would we do without, without Livestrong.com to tell us where all of our stress... Well, basically, um, your life is really what it, where you've been, where you're going, where you are now. That's what's stressing you out. Oh, if you could just get rid of those three things, like, you're set. Like it was, the, it was the most meaningless article that I've never completely read. And so I'm, so I'm looking at it, and then it got me thinking about New Year's and uh, resolutions, goals. Like, what do we do? How do we move forward? Um, what, what do we do about some of those anxieties? So part of the reason that we have a hard time moving forward is because of the past, and that's true, which is kind of a strange... A strange idea, really, that the reason you can't move forward is because of the things you've already gone by. The reason you can't seem to grow and get past that thing is because of something way back here. Typically, when you talk about a troubled past, you're talking about childhood trauma, loss of a loved one, um, some sort of, some sort of uh, family pain. Um, these are the things that we talk about where we were either perpetrated against past hurts that's the reason we can't move forward but here's the other side of it if we're going to actually move forward into the idea of new goals new resolutions for 2017 you also have to get rid of the old good things as well as the old bad things there are some things in your past, you need to leave them in the past. You need to forget about it. You need to walk away. There are, those are bad. Those, those are terrible. But there are those good things. You need to leave those back there. Let me give you an illustration. Everybody knows that guy that in 1978, he had 146 yards rushing in the state tournament, and it's the only story he can tell? And the only reason people remember it is because that guy won't shut up about it. It's just that thing. Just talks about that thing. Well, you remember, you remember when I was there? You remember when I did this? You remember when I did this? You remember when I did this? And you see this in small towns all the time. Big fish, little pond. And it's the story. I mean, this was headline news in the Iola Register. One whole week. I'm super important. And that was it. But we can't seem to get past those things. 
spiritual growth in the past is still something we have to move past. So let me give you an example. If you grew last year spiritually, 2016, you grew, you need to leave that in 2016. You don't get to bring that with you into 2017. You don't get to like take this stuff from yesterday and be like, oh yeah, but remember, I fasted like 28 times last year. Don't forget. What are you doing now? This is great passage in Philippians. We talked about part of this one uh, a few weeks ago. Paul is summing up his past accomplishments, and he talks about, there has never been a Hebrew like me. From the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day, as far as zeal, persecuted the church, legalistic righteousness, faultless. Nobody, nobody captured that, nobody cornered that game as good as I did. And then he moves on to say this, and I count all of that as a loss. I consider it all a loss. And it's kind of interesting because in the passage, he uses the word consider three different times in two verses. The first time he uses consider, it's in the perfect tense. I have considered. The next two, he uses it in a present tense. I am now considering it. Meaning, at one point, this really made a whole lot of sense and it was good for something. All of my legalistic righteousness, all of the things that we've done through the last year that have been positive and good. We did for our marriage, we did for our kids, we did for our finances, we did for the Lord. Wonderful things. That's going to be your bragging story? See, part of the deal is we get hung up on the past and that's even our accomplishments. And we try to get as much traction out of these things that we've done into the, like, the next part. We kind of get to loaf a little bit. Turn it off, coast down the hills. And we, then we could turn it back on when we need it, turn it back off when we don't. Instead of just being with the Lord, serving the Lord, living a relationship with the Lord. Sometimes we have to get past that as well. Listen to this verse. Three, uh, Philippians 3, 13 and 14. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to yet have taken a hold of it. He's like, look, this principle that I'm, that I'm, that I'm teaching right now, I haven't even fully grasped. That's the Apostle Paul saying it, so I'm, I imagine I haven't grasped it either if the Apostle Paul hasn't grasped it. But I have not even grasped this principle yet. But if you want to leave the past in the past, hurts, pain, brokenness, uh, busted relationships, accomplishments, other things you hang your hat on, plaques, awards, all the holiness that you've offered the Lord in 2016. If you want to leave the past in the past, here's the apostles, here's the apostles formula. 13 and 14, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have yet taken a hold of it, but one thing I do is I forget what is behind me and I strain forward to what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. There's two words here I want to focus on real quick. Forgetting and then straining. Here's what I do. The Apostle Paul says, how do you leave the past in the past? This is what I do. Forget what is back there and strain forward to what is ahead. Now, these are very rare words, forgetting and strained. Rare. Forgetting is this almost 
purposeful neglect, blinders, limiting your own vision. Here's, here's a good combination for you. Hyper overlook. Hyper, like, do you remember when like kids, when like you were kids and like somebody would try to talk to you, like your brother or your sister and they were just kind of annoying you and your mom would be like, ignore them. Ignore them. Like, that doesn't make them go away. But what they're telling you to do is to focus on something else and stop paying attention. I don't care if he's got his finger on the side right over here inside your peripheral. I don't, I don't care. Don't look at him. Don't talk. You guys, don't look at each other. Don't talk to each other. Ignore one another. Paul says, ignore all that stuff. Purposely ignore. Here's what else is interesting. He talks about his accomplishments three different times when he says, consider, consider, consider. I think about them. Those are the things that are there. It would be so easy to get egotistical about everything that Paul accomplished. And for you, it may be very easy for you to get egotistical. Maybe you make a lot of money for, a play, for, for people in this area. Maybe you have a lot of education for people in this area. Maybe you've got a really great home. Maybe you've got a really great marriage. Maybe you've got really great cars. It'd be really easy to get egotistical about something. Paul says, I consider these things and I set them aside. I consider them and I set them aside. The next one is this. It's a sports injury word. Straining forward, it's a sports injury word. And you're going to get a picture in your head as soon as I say it. Hyperextend. You saw it, didn't you? You remember seeing like on Sports Center and the guy comes up for a jump shot and all of a sudden something happens and then like the knee where the knee is supposed to bend this way, it goes backwards? Or the guy that's running and he gets hit and it goes and everybody goes, oh, mm. hyper extend, overexert. Forget about the stuff back there. It's good. It was great for then, but the time has moved on. For us, break yourself on pleasing the Lord. Hyper extend yourself, straining forward to what God has for you. The past is a part of our problem. But so is the future. The future is a problem. Thank you, Lance Armstrong, and your wonderful website. Yes, the future is a problem. Somebody has wisely said, depression is an emotion from the past. Anxiety is an emotion from the future. Sometimes it's fear of failure. Sometimes uh, anxiety comes from things that we're going to worry about health-wise. When we worry about our children, we worried about our, when we worry about our spouse, job-related situations, is this going to work? Is this going to last? Is this going to keep on going at this rate? If so, this is going to mess everything up. And we worry about these kind of things. Now, um, if, you, if you look at your faith, compared to anxiety. And we, we get shook by things that come into our life. Here's what our faith is saying. And I don't mean this as a guilt trip, but I just want you to kind of process this picture. Our faith is feeble and yelling out loud when we're just swamped in anxiety. We're saying, I believe that what's coming in the future is going to overtake me and God is not going to meet me there. That's what our faith is saying. When we just get swamped in that anxiety, that fear of what's coming, what we're saying is, I'm headed into the future and I don't know that God is going to be there. 
If you've ever worked with children who've been abandoned or neglected, like severe cases, you, something kind of strange happens. They, they develop this thing to where they start asking a whole lot of questions. Some of you have seen this, haven't you? They begin asking these questions. Who's going to be there? When are we going home? Is my mom coming? Is my dad going to pick me up? I don't know who's picking me up. Are we going back to your house? Who's going to be there? And it's just this rushed, panicked anxiety because whoever the parents were, they strung them through such a load of chaos and absolutely no structure, no reliability, that these kids tried to trust. And they were let down over and over and over and over and over. Mom was always in jail. Dad was always in jail. And now these kids are stuck in this place to where they don't trust anything that comes in the door. They're panicked all the time. Christians do the same thing. We focus our trust and our faith on other people. Ministers, political leaders, our parents. We live underneath the shadows of, who, of all these other people. The term idolatry, the definition for it means this. Anywhere that you go, anything that you run to, to find contentment, pleasure, happiness, or peace, that's idolatry. Now filter your whole home and all of your relationships through that, and then let's talk about idolatry, because that's terrifying. If there are places that we go or things that we run to that bring us this pleasure, and that's our only source of pleasure, that's where we find contentment. That's where we find peace. It's idolatry. And for us, it's no wonder that as Americans, we are so unsatisfied. We're so unsatisfied, so unhappy. Because we have every single thing around us. We worship every single thing. Name it. There's somebody who's worshiping that thing. That's where we go for our peace. Facebook. Twitter. Snapchat. Like, these are where we get our rush. Friendships. Here's one for you. Your spouse. But Jared, I thought you were supposed to really love your spouse. You are supposed to love your spouse, but she ain't your everything. He ain't your everything. And guess what? If they are, oh man. Um, I'll pencil you in. I'll, I'll pencil you in because you'll be by sometime, I promise. They'll let you down. The beauty of what the future brings is this idea that we don't know, that we don't know what's there, but God is already there. God is already there. Read you this passage. Jeremiah 25, 4 through 6. Backstory is this. Israel couldn't stop worshiping idols. They had got settled. They were doing good. They were locked in. Their relationships were good. They were worshiping God. And then all of a sudden, they start going downhill. They start worshiping idols. They start doing stuff way off track. God sends prophets to them over and over and over. The prophets show up and they say, listen, you need to stop worshiping idols. Stop carving stuff out of wood and bowing down to it. It's getting weird. Stop doing that. They don't stop. Finally, Jeremiah the prophet shows up and he says, you've been warned. Do you ever have that deal like when your dad came home? Do you ever, like your mom's like, I'm telling you dad. Like, don't tell dad. And they had that noise when he took his belt off. Anybody? Ever? 
I'm dead. dead. <laughs> Jeremiah comes in. He says, you've been warned. You didn't listen. You didn't listen. And though the Lord has sent all his servants and the prophets to you again and again, you have not listened or paid attention. They said, turn now, each of you, from your evil ways and your evil practices, and you can stay in the land of the Lord uh, that he gave to you and your ancestors forever and ever. Do not follow other gods and serve them and worship them, and do not arouse my anger with the things you've made with your hands. Then God will not harm you. But they don't stop. They continue to do it. Eventually, Jeremiah shows up again and he says, here's what the Lord says. You're getting taken into captivity. You're going to get swiped right out of Israel. You're going to Babylon. That's where you're going to spend the next 70 years. When Jeremiah tells the people of Israel that they're going to get captured and taken to Babylon for 70 years, they try to kill him. They go to the temple, they swarm him, and they begin to attack this guy. And they say, how dare you talk bad about the, the, the temple of the Lord and his people? God would be so unhappy with you. And he's like, look, God sent me to tell you this. Finally, a couple of guys stand up for him. And it wasn't too long. The king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, shows up, um, lays siege to the city, and takes all the inhabitants to Israel. And then God speaks to Jeremiah again. God, I've already given these people the worst news and then you showed up and you've taken them away. Like, what else do you want to tell these people? Here's what I want to tell them. This is, this is so beautiful. Go tell my people this. Build houses when you get to Babylon and settle down. Plant gardens. Eat what they produce. Marry. Have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage. Increase in number. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which <clears throat> I have carried you into. Pray to the Lord. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Check out this picture. If somebody showed up and they captured us and they carried us to a new land, and then Joel Osteen went on TV and he says, oh, by the way, I'm not comparing Jeremiah to Joel Osteen. I am not. I, I, know, I know it sucks right now and you're going into captivity. I know, that, I know that's a bad, bad deal. But, but listen, while you're there, enjoy yourself. Keep up the good work, Joel. Right? You wake up in an unfamiliar land. You're captured by people who don't speak the same language as you. You have no idea what you're walking into. You have been jerked completely out of your homeland. You're now in a brand new place, and Joel Osteen's best words for you are what? If you meet a nice girl, marry her. Are you for real? Are you for real? You know what this tells me about God? Like, he's funny. Like, he's funny. Do you hate the circumstances that you're in right now? That I put you in? Plant a garden. What? Do you see what he's doing? You, you see what he's doing? Carry on. Yeah, but we don't know what's... Carry on. 
Yeah, but there's some stuff that's going on right now that I know is just right over the hill, and this could crush us. This could be the end for my marriage. Hey, 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 plant a garden. Focus here. Pay attention here. This is where I am, right here. Don't worry about the future. God is infinite. People aren't. God is perfect. People are faulty. There are situations where unforeseeable circumstances unfold right in front of us. No warning. Bad news. God already knew. Not surprised at all. When we begin to take our faith and we put it in other people, in ourselves, and our, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps thing, and it's not about us leaning on the Lord, we run a risk of misplacing our faith and getting mishandled. So, if the Lord's best advice, you know what else I like about this? There's also this part right here where it says, that I have carried you into. Like there's this weird relationship that God has with us that's like, is your situation kind of bad right now? I put it there. Like I kind of put it there. Like I allowed this thing to be in your life right here. Like it's here and I'm going to make something really good of it. So, isn't that good? I don't know about you. Like I will argue with the Lord about like, no, that is bad news. No, I don't. I don't appreciate that a single bit. But that's, that's the way that God, that's the way that God works. It's like, here it is. It's good for us. We're going to grow. We're going to get through this thing. It's going to be great. So, if the past is a problem and God's already got the future, that leaves us here. That leaves us in the now. I have to confess something. Uh, when I'm in a mall or in Walmart and I'm pushing a cart and somebody stops in front of me to read their list or talk to their neighbor or to find out you know, where, the, where the soup is um, or just for fun, uh, I send them to hell in my mind for a minute. <laughs> I just need to, I just need to, like I do, like that's what happens. Now, if they turn around and they see me and they're kind of surprised and they're, and they're like apologize, oh, oh, sorry about that, then I take it back. I like to take it back real quick. Like I, but if they don't, no, like that's, it's a, it's a disturbing theological view and, it's, and I, I realize it's wrong. I have to, I have to combat that. Me and, me and Jesus, we gotta work on that. But, in my mind, that's what happens. If you're anything like me, then you understand this kind of frustration. It's the yellow light guy. Like it's green and he's halfway through and he's stopping and backing up so that he doesn't run through the yellow. We had time for both of us to make the yellow, just so you know. If you're anything like me, you understand the problem with that kind of person that likes to stop and just, here's my dad's word, dilly-dally in the aisle. What are you doing? Move. Oh, here's why. Because there's a system when you go to the store. There's a system. We have different pockets in our life. We compartmentalize things. I have a social life. Guess where it's not? At the store. I have a social life. You know what? This is why I always have my phone on the side of my head. Or I got headphones in or I got a mask on with like glasses and a mustache. Because like, no. 
no, I, this is not my, I want to get my stuff and I want to go. That's what I want to do. That's the pattern. Get your stuff, go. When somebody stops, oh, Roger, this town is so small. Drive over and talk to them. Not now, not by the crackers. I know, see, I know, it's ugly. It's, it's an ugly, ugly thing. It's in my heart. But there's a system. The same thing that I don't like about people who stop in the store or in the mall is the same thing that frustrates me about Jesus. You want to talk about somebody who messed up the flow of traffic? Jesus did. Me and Jesus, I would not have been a good disciple had I been back there. Uh, I would not have been good. I would have been one of the ones that was always getting told to like, what are you doing? Sit back, go find some crayons and sit in the corner. Like, what are you, get out of the way. Here's why. Because there's this moment in scripture to where Jesus shows up. And then all of a sudden, all these mothers with babies and little children, they come and they circle around Jesus. And all the brains and the intellectuals, they're trying to like glean some information, some really cool data from this new rabbi who's kind of mystical and homeless. And we want to kind of figure out like what he's about. But there's just kids like everywhere. They're on the drum set. They're in the hallway. They're down everywhere. They're everywhere. Children everywhere. And the disciples show up and they start pushing the kids back. Excuse me, man. Could you get this kid? Excuse me, sir. Did you get this kid? Excuse me. Is this your kid? Whose kid is Get this kid. And Jesus stops them and says, hey, 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 hey. It's cool, baby. It's cool. Like, I'm here for the babies. It's cool. Bring them over here. And you could see this look on the disciples' face. Yeah, that's nice of you, Jesus. Kiss a few babies, but we got work to do. There's another moment. Jesus is walking uh, through, uh, through Jericho or, or, or beside Jericho on the road like to Jericho. And there's these two men on the side of the road, blind men, and they start hollering. Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. Over and over and over. And finally, the crowd that is with Jesus, the ones who are trying to follow him and be like him, turn around and look at the two blind guys and go, could you shut up? We can't hear a thing. The guys that yelled that, I'm sure their names were Jared. And Jesus walks out of that group over to the two blind men and heals them both. Right by the spices. He pulls his cart over sideways, heals two blind men while there's people lined up trying to get some Capri Suns. Doesn't face Jesus at all. There's another situation. Jesus and his disciples, they show up to some friends of his, Mary and Martha. We need a little bit of dinner. Martha bustles off to the kitchen. She's in there trying to figure out how to make enough bread to feed a football team. And the sister, Mary, she's in there on the floor doing her weirdo thing that she's always done with her bohemian beads and weird bell bottoms, sitting on the floor, doing nothing, listening to what's going on and Martha busts through the saloon doors that were on the kitchen and she says Jesus listen tell her to get up I need some help in the kitchen you know exactly how this works you hang with the boys the girls will take care of this and Jesus says whoa 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 Martha 
you are worried about a lot of stuff. But Mary's got this thing figured out. He just takes his grocery cart and stops it by the bananas where there's not two lanes of traffic, just one. Pulls it sideways and hangs out with Mary on the floor. How many of you have stairs in your house? How many of you can tell me how many steps there are on your stairs? You can? How many? Anybody else? 14? Anybody else? 15. 15. I would have never, ever cared how many steps were on the staircase of my house <clears throat> until about two months ago. Uh, when I had uh, surgery on my Achilles, see, the steps were a thing that I used. I would skip one, up and down, like pounce, ping, 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 just to get to the office, just to get back down. Like, that's it. That's what stairs are for. They're a thing to use. Ping, 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 ping. Don't hang out on the stairs. I'm not 11. I'm not hooked to the phone from 1987 with the long cord, and that's as far as you can go, and the only privacy you can get in the whole house, talk to your girlfriend. That's not what it is. I'm not hanging out in the stairs. That's not what's, this is what's happening. Stairs are a thing that you use. It's just a thing you use. You go up them, you go down them, you move on. I don't know who built them. I didn't care. They're just, they're just there. And then uh, this nice guy at the doctor's office handed me crutches and said, good luck. And so then you're trying to get up these stairs with these, with these crutches. All of a sudden, every single step on the staircase mattered. Every single one. Not because the stairwell has some sort of magical power to throw me to my death or, or re-injure me, but because if I am not purposeful with every single step that I take, I will throw me to my death or I will re-injure me. And I don't want to do it again. For your information, there are 13, 13 steps on my staircase that gets me up to my office and back down. I don't know if you've ever tried to build stairs, but like the first time you do it, you're not good at it. And in my case, you're not good at it the second time. Like it's, like it's somebody took time to measure that, to do the math, to figure the angle, so there was enough room to get by this way at the base of the stairs. And then so that when you get to the top, you don't have an extra step and then have to step down into your upstairs. Like somebody did the math. And I would have never considered any of that. Somebody spent time building those stairs. I didn't build them. And then it brings me back to this. I wonder how many times in life I've been going so fast, focusing on either the past or the future that I've used people in my life like a staircase. Skipping one when I was in a hurry. Pouncing right over the top of them. Skipping all these precious little moments with my girls. 
wonder how many times I've ran up them and down them, just smashing the stairs. I wonder if I've ever treated my wife that same way that I've used her in that same way. Just walk over the top of her. Give no consideration to the things that she does and how she cares for me. I wonder how many times I've climbed up God's blessings that he's put in my life, never even recognizing that he's the one that gave them to me. I'm climbing up a mountain that he built to yell about me. The present is where the Lord is. The present causes us to set back and count steps. The present causes us to look at the people around us and say, you know what, here's the deal. I think we should probably just build a garden. Let's just plant a garden. We got time right now. So maybe for you, 2017 is this. Maybe you need to start counting the steps. You need to take a look at the stairwell. You need to spend some time with the people who are with you in your life right now and less time in your head and on Facebook and Snapchat. With me? Maybe we need to spend more time looking at 2017 as I'm going to make goals, but my first one is going to be this. I'm going to be present in my own life.